And uh, in chapter 2 of the Second London Baptist Confession, it talks about in paragraph 1 the attributes of God. And really, countless books could be written on just the attributes of God. But then paragraph 2, what we've been looking at, talks more about how those attributes flesh themselves out. That God is self-sufficient. He's not in need of anything. That he has sovereign dominion over everything. Absolute knowledge. And that we are interdependent upon him. But tonight, we're going to see that God has... I think it was Sam Waldron used the phrase intrinsic claims on his creation. And I think that that's a good way to put it. But look at the whole paragraph again with me to just kind of see where we've been. The writers wrote, God having all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself is alone. I'm sorry, I don't have it on the screen tonight. Uh, You can listen to it. Um, in, a, in and unto himself, all sufficient, not standing in need of any creature which he hath made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. He is the alone fountain of all blessing, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things. And he hath most sovereign dominion over all creatures to do by them, for them, or upon them, whatsoever himself pleaseth. In his sight are all things. They are open and manifest. His knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent upon the creature. So as nothing is to him contingent or uncertain, he is most holy in all his counsels, in all his works, and in all his commands. And then tonight we're looking at this last statement in this paragraph. To him is due from angels and men whatsoever worship, service, or obedience as creatures they owe unto the Creator and whatever He is further pleased to require of them. I pray that in our time together we've seen the glory of God as Scripture reveals Him, not as we want God to be revealed. And as He in all of His glory is revealed, this kind of gets down into the nitty-gritty a bit and shows, first of all, the reasons for His claims, that He can claim whatever He wants. A.W. Pink, in his Attributes of God, he says, The absolute and universal supremacy of God is plainly and positively affirmed in many scriptures. It is throughout scripture that we see that God has a reason to make a claim upon us. And first of all, it's, and I kind of broke it up into two, two areas, but those are so tied together. His position and his person. Uh, who he is, he is God. But because he is God, he is in a place of authority and therefore has a rightful position to demand. First Chronicles twenty nine eleven and 12 say, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. 
In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. We see there in the confession that it uses the term uh, creature and creator. As creator, the cre- uh, he has authority to make whatever he desires and to have done with it whatever he desires. Paul makes that argument in Romans 9, I think it's 20 and 21. Uh, how, can the potters, uh, how can the clay say to the potter, when the potter has chosen vessels for honorable and vessels for dishonorable, as the creator, he has that authority to make the claims upon his creation. Now, sometimes we don't like those claims. Sometimes our sinful flesh fights against that. And when we begin to talk of the sovereignty of God over all things, we hit a lot of resistance in unsaved people, but even in the Christian church. Well, God's not sovereign over all things. We'll see in uh, coming weeks how that sovereignty plays out. But he does, he reigns over all. And as a creator, he has the authority over his creation to, to demand from it whatever he desires. And then it helps us understand the recipients or the, the things in which are the, the source that he is speaking to of his claims, the who. And the two are listed, angels and humans. And I was kind of just meditating on this this afternoon that there is a sense in which angels and us are similar not that we have physical bodies but in our duty to God that we often will read Isaiah 6 and and think about the seraphim and the cherubim and, and the 24 elders in Revelation and yet that is our same calling though we are humans and they are angels God is to be praised from both of us. The angels are continually worshiping and praising the Lord in heaven. And we are called, whether we eat or whether we drink or whatever we do, do all to the what? To the glory of God, to the praise of God, to the worship of God. That everything we do is to reflect his glory, to bring honor to him. I think you could even argue that maybe they could even have added creation here, that all of creation testifies. And I got thinking about that. Psalm 97 verse 9 says, For you, Lord, are most high above all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Psalm 24, 1 and 2, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those dwell therein. For he has founded upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Psalm 29.10, the Lord sat enthroned at the flood, and the Lord sits as king forever. At his pleasure, A.W. Pink says, the Red Sea divided and its waters stood still. The earth opened her mouth and guilty rebels went down alive into the pit in number 16. When he so ordered, the sun stood still in Joshua 10, and on the other occasion went backward 10 degrees on the dial of Ahaz. Isaiah 38, 
To exemplify his supremacy, he made the ravens carry food to Elijah in 1 Kings 17. Iron to swim on top of the waters in 2 Kings 6. Lions to be tamed when Daniel was cast into their den. Fire to burn not when the three Hebrews were flung into its flames. Thus, as Psalm 135.6 says, Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that he, he in heaven and in the earth and the seas and all deep places... I share that because of where I'm kind of headed. That it's not just angels, it's not just us as humans, but all of creation. But what are the expectations? The writers of the confession give four different things. Worship, service, and obedience. Actually, I'm sorry, three. And the whatsoever could be the number four. Worship to attribute worship, to honor him as God, to see him greater, to not see ourselves as God, but to humble ourselves, to serve him, to serve him as Lord and King. Psalm 100 verse 2 says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Paul writes in Ephesians 6, 7, that we are... Excuse me, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord, not to men. That's the, uh, the passage speaking about servants earlier. It's children. Children obey your parents, what? In the Lord or as unto the Lord. You keep going back at the end of Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives, what? As Christ loved the church. We love as unto the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Each one of those pictures is, a, is an act of, of worship and in serving the Lord through those things as unto the Lord. And then we're called to that O word. Sometimes I think we think that should be belong in the four-letter words, Obey. It's a hard word because we battle. It's our, it hits us at the core of our heart. Whether we're going to submit to God and obey what he has commanded or reject. Peter and the other apostles answered the, uh, the Sanhedrin, I believe. They said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Acts 5, 29. In Deuteronomy 13, 4. The children of Israel were commanded before they went into the promised land to be reminded of God saying, You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. That which we obey is what we truly love. That which we obey, we truly love. If we reject authority, it's actually because we love ourselves. We love ourselves greater. We hold ourselves higher. What did Jesus say? If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. Because we show by submitting ourselves to that one, or most importantly, in the end, to God that we show the worship of that person and mostly God. We see that the confession states, to him is due from angels and men, 
whatsoever. Worship, service, obedience. As creatures, they owe unto the Creator. It can be easy in our pride to think God owes us. And yet, we owe God everything. And and I kind of wonder why, for what purpose did the writers of of the confession kind of add, and whatever he is further pleased to require of them. It was like, just in case maybe we we didn't think that that we fell underneath the angels or humans, um, and and that we just thought we had this exemption, kind of like Paul, no, not one, no, everyone in Romans 3. But then he says, whatever he is further pleased to require of them. The limits of his claims are whatever he requires. That's absolute obedience. It's in every area, not just some. And that gets uncomfortable sometimes. I have a feeling that as humans, you're kind of like me, where there's certain areas it might be a little easier to obey God's commands. Not murder somebody. Okay, I can do that one. To do all things without grumbling and complaining, okay, that one's a little more challenging. But Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount, constantly talked about the heart. And that's where the true problem lies in our heart. And the absolute obedience in every way. On our drive over here, um, the kids were listening to a program and talking about the children of Israel. Why did God wait a thousand years for the Messiah to come? And the gentleman said, you want to show Israel as an example of us. That we are just like Israel. Constantly disobedient. That we can't keep God's commandments. And that we're in need of a Savior. To show the glory of God in, in his long-sufferingness. And the beauty of Christ when the Messiah comes. Because absolute obedience is required in every area. But sadly, we don't always, nor can we ever, perfectly obey. Yes, we should be pursuing obedience in every area. But we're going to fail. And that's a constant reminder why we need a Savior. We've seen the glory of God, His attributes, His judgment, all of these things. And it comes down and we're reminded that we need a Savior at the end of the day. That He has unlimited claim to call us to do whatever. Are we seeking absolute obedience or are we just trying to make excuses? Are, Are we pressing on and toward holiness and godliness or just kind of okay with the the Christian status quo. But believe when we've seen the glory of God, my prayer is that that we've got a little taste of his glory and we've said, Lord, show us more. That the obedience does not become burdensome, but it's a pursuit of the one we greatly love because we've seen his glory on display. That we seek to obey in every way. And that our worship of him is seen in every area. Because just like all of those 
things of creation, the Red Sea and the, the sun and the ravens perfectly obeyed God. That's the picture of his absolute authority. The absolute authority that he deserves in our lives. And the absolute authority and obedience that we can't always do. But praise be to God, he provides a way to cover that. In Christ. And he is our hope. That's why we sang just a little while ago, O great God. There's in that second verse, I was blinded by my sin, had no ears to hear your voice. Just talking about our sinful state. But the third verse was now, help me now to live a life that's dependent upon your grace. That when God has changed our hearts, we desire to obey. In light of who God is. Not because we think we're just going to get something. But because of the beauty of who he is. And at the end of it, glorify your name through me. Oh, that would be true of us, that everything that we say and everything that we do would bring glory to our great God. Let's pray together as we close. Father, thank you for just this reminder. Lord, that you have created us for your glory. And that all worship and service and obedience that you are worthy of or that you've called us to walk in. Lord, we confess we fall short. Lord, we thank you for your long-sufferingness, for your grace. Lord, that we would not be punished but that Christ came, that we might have life. That son that perfectly obeyed your commandments. That perfect son of Solomon, that picture of Christ. Lord, we trust in his work. But Lord, in light of the grace that you show us in Christ, help us to live a life that's dependent upon the strength that you provide. Lord, we need that. Lord, we desire that, Lord, that uh, our life would not be about pursuing our own pleasures, but pursuing you, for you are the greatest joy we can possess. You are the greatest um, satisfaction, and you are worthy of it all. Lord, help us, we pray, for your glory, in Christ's name, amen.